0: In this episode of Info Product Mastery, we'll discuss the six biggest mistakes I made when running an info product business. This is Info Product Mastery, episode nine. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers, educators, and entrepreneurs launch and grow their online education businesses. Whether you're just looking to create a passive income stream or building a full-time living, I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. Today, I want to discuss the six biggest mistakes I made running PyMage Search, the info product company I exited in 2021. This list is by no means complete, but I think it highlights the larger mistakes I made. I made this list a few months after PyMage Search was acquired, a, a sort of don't do these things when you're running your next company. And all these realizations came through reflection and introspection. I don't think I could have recognized them in the moment, or without going through them. My hope is that they help you while running your own business. So with that said, let's dive into my mistakes. Mistake number one, not hiring fast enough. This is something I talked about with Rob Walling in the Startups for the Rest of Us episode, which I'll link up in the show notes. But the first three years running Pyramid Search, I did everything, and I mean everything. I was coding the example projects, drafting blog posts, creating images for the posts, adding these posts to WordPress, authoring our paid premium books and courses, typesetting the books and courses and adding content to the membership sites. I was doing email marketing and sales copy and created these automated sales campaigns. I did email support. So when people emailed in with a question, not even a technical question of, hey, how do I use computer vision and OpenCV to do X, Y, Z? No, I mean, I was answering people who had issues downloading their files, downloading their purchases. I was moderating and responding to blog post comments, I did everything required to run that business for the first three years. It worked in terms of revenue. So 2014, the first year I was in business, Pyramid Search made like $38,000. In 2015, it was up to $230,000. And 2016, just over $600,000. I was still the only member of that team. And yeah, I was able to put a lot of that money in my bank account, but it really wasn't worth the 70 to 80 hour work weeks that I was doing when some of the tasks I I was doing could have been offloaded for two to four thousand dollars a month. The two biggest areas I needed help with back then was email support. And I figured that out in early 2017. We were able to bring in someone to help with the kind of your standard email tier one support questions of, hey, how do I access my files or hey, I purchased this content, but I don't know where my login credentials are. So doing that type of basic support. The other area I really needed help with was additional content writers so that I wasn't the only one producing content. Started work on that in like 2017, 2018, but we didn't really nail it until 2020. The point here though, is that I should have hired and delegated way sooner. I didn't know any better back then. I was truly ignorant. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. I mean it in almost a positive, like I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know back then. I didn't know how to delegate. I didn't know how to hire properly. And that really made my life for the first couple years running that business tremendously painful. And I, if I had to do it all over again, and even with this podcast, I'm, I'm doing it differently. I'm just recording the episodes. I hand off the episodes to an editor. He does all the editing and produces the, the video files and the mp3 files and, and hands it back to me. And just today I hired another person on the team to handle taking those files, getting them in YouTube, getting into our podcast distribution channels and even scheduling the social media post. So with that said, like when you're running your own info product business, look for low hanging fruit like that and try to get email support off your plate as soon as possible. My rule of thumb and after talking to other entrepreneurs in info info product space, the rule of thumb is once you're making like $10,000 a month, try to bring on someone to help with your email support. Try to get some tasks off your plate. Maybe that's, you know, posting content for you, or taking a Google Doc where you wrote a blog post. You know, they take that Google Doc and convert it to a WordPress post. Or maybe they're uploading files to YouTube or your podcast distribution channels for you. And the next stage is probably when you're getting to twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a month. You really want to start thinking about additional content creators other than yourself because if you're the only content creator, that means that the business is so tied to you, your schedule, your health, what you're doing. That can be really, really dangerous if your life gets into a flux, if you have some sort of traumatic event going on in your life. And plus, it, it takes you away from working on the business. As an entrepreneur, as the, the owner, you should be working on the business, not necessarily in the business. So I guess that's kind of a, a bonus Mistake I made, I've just kind of elaborated on a, on a whim, is that I should have delegated content creation faster. So, when you're starting to get above $10,000, dollars $30,000 in revenue, start dedicating some time to think about how you can bring in other content creators to the team. Mistake number two was incorrectly making the assumption that readers could only learn from me and my writing and my explanation style. Up until 2018, I had authored every single word on the PyMed search website. From blog post to sales copy, to email campaigns, I wrote it all. That was a tremendous source of pride for me, but the problem was that it created the incorrect assumption in my head that my writing style was the only way that Pi readers could learn. And if you continued following that train of thought like I did, I was thinking, mm, if we brought on other authors on the team, and they didn't have the same writing style as I did, then readers wouldn't find it valuable and then wouldn't purchase our premium materials. That led to the situation where we became way too focused on style guides and processes. And worse, it didn't allow writers enough room to craft their own voice. Our content metrics were way too focused on, will this make Adrian happy? When in reality, it should have been focused on, are our customers and readers finding this super valuable? And are we making money? That's it. Like point blank, the buck stops right there. Are your customers happy? And are you making money? Other than that, why get so wrapped up in the style guide? Why get so wrapped up in the process? Why spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on editors trying to get you know every typo and every grammatical mistake out of there? Tech people tend to not care as much about that. They just want the meat. They want to understand what's going on to get value out of it. So to that end, when you're running your content business, really try and put yourself in your customer's mind, listen to your reader's feedback, and just say like, Are they happy with the content we're producing? And if the answer is yes, keep doing what you're doing. Don't become so solely focused on your team trying to make you happy with the style. guides. It's just the wrong road to go down. Mistake number four is I should have had more realistic expectations of my subordinates. And that's not meant to be negative or critical, just a realistic expectation and mindset that I should have put myself in. As the owner Honestly, no one is going to care as much as you do because no one has as much at stake as you do. That can be a really hard pill to swallow, especially if you've never owned a business before. So over the years, I've learned to have more realistic expectations and not get upset about it. Just realize it's part of the chain of ownership. That can be really hard to do, especially if you are super, super type A like I am. Instead, what you want to do is tie your team's objectives and compensation to the company's interest, which will likely be your interest, which will empower your subordinates to succeed, and you will succeed along with them. I really screwed this one up, especially in the early years when we started hiring around 2017, 2018. And at times, it created unnecessary drama and hard feelings that that were caused. And it's it, it's my fault, and I take ownership of that, because I didn't have the proper expectations of my subordinates. I didn't give them everything they needed to be successful. So when you start hiring, understand that your subordinates are are incredibly important to you running that business. But deep down, super deep down, they're not going to care as much as as you do. They're not going to cross every T and dot every I like you would. Instead, you've got to kind of combine that with with my previous mistake of, you know, kind of creating these too many processes and too many style guides. Instead, try and focus on the things that move that business forward that make your customers happy, and then focus on those. Don't let all the minutiae, all the other tiny details that you know honestly would probably activate your type A brain, kind of let those slide. Learn to let those slide. Focus on the things that move your business forward and empower your subordinates to move that chain, to move you farther down the field. Mistake number four. I could get way, way too upset about plagiarism. And I come from an academic background. I have a PhD in computer science. And in academia, plagiarism is a huge deal. If you get caught plagiarizing, you can get kicked out of your university. And in the industry, that's called fraud and intellectual property theft, which honestly can come with some pretty hefty lawsuits. In my case, I had authored over 500 free tutorials with working code samples for each and every one of them, and not to mention my paid books and courses. And inside the code license for all these, I said, you can use my material in any of your academic work, your research, your for-profit work projects. I don't care. Just cite the content by giving me a link back to whatever tutorial you use the code from. That's all I want. And I had entries in my frequently asked questions that said this. And as I said, I had that language put in the code license itself. But inevitably, I would see people who were lazy and just wanted to get ahead. They would blatantly copy and paste word for word my blog post to their Medium blog and say it was their own with no link back, with no citation, with no credit whatsoever. Worse, people were creating Udemy courses using my exact code samples without attribution, and some YouTubers would take my images and video demos and use them to help promote their own content, again, without attribution. That really bothered me, and I get worked up about it, especially in the early years. What would happen is I or someone on my team, we would file a DMCA submission and the plagiarized content would eventually be taken down or at least removed from the Google Index. But the emotional damage and the mental damage, it was still there. I was mad that someone was purposely doing something so nefarious and terrible. And it's not that they weren't smart enough or couldn't learn it on their own. They were just lazy and were just looking for a way to get ahead. I I don't really agree with this whole phrase, mimicry is the sincerest form of flattery, but there is some truth to it. If someone is mimicking you, it means you're doing something right. Because if people are copying you, they are getting value from your work. And those who copy, they don't last long. They fade out in a few months or years because they lack the originality and the discipline to succeed in the long run. So if you come across your content being plagiarized, Keep a cooler head than I did. Calmly pass it off to a member of your team. Let them file a DMCA report and then move on. Don't let it hang over your head like this dark and stormy cloud like I did. That could stick with me for hours or days and I'd just be in a bad mood about it. It didn't help me professionally. It didn't help me personally. Sometimes it would even hurt relationships because I'd just be in a bad mood. You know, learn to just delegate that to someone else and move on because plagiarism is going to happen unfortunately and in some cases it's a sign that you're doing something right because people people are taking the time to copy something you did mistake number 5 i was offering way 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 too much free support for way too long when you launch an info product business you're going to go through these different phases of wanting viewers or readers to contact you the first phase is you're just so desperate for any sort of validation that you're on the right track And people are getting value from you. So you're just like checking your inbox for an email from a reader or checking YouTube comments, just hoping someone clicks the like button or responds to you, gives you a comment says encouraging words or says what they liked or they didn't like. Just you getting some feedback. You're so desperate for that feedback in the first phase. The second phase is you notice, hey, I'm spending an hour or more every day in my inbox responding to questions. I use this loose definition of inbox here. That could be your email, that could be blog post comments, LinkedIn, Messenger, whatever venue that people are contacting you from where you have a queue of messages to go through. That's a loose term that I use for an inbox. The third phase is you realize your balance is totally out of whack. You're spending too much time providing help and support to non-customers. And these non-customers unconsciously have learned that if they email you or message you, you'll help them for free. There's no incentive there for them to convert to paying customers. The fourth phase, and hopefully you never get here, is you start to get a bit bitter towards those same people for, quote-unquote, taking advantage of you and your time. The fourth phase is terrible because it's your fault, not your readers. You fail to set the expectation properly at some point. You have to be a paying customer if you want to receive support from me. And to give you a little history on this, payment Search started in 2014, By 2017 to 2018, we're getting over 100 emails per day and over 200 blog post comments every single week. Myself and my team, we were responding to each and every one of them, customer or not. And we were trying to provide this, this sense of reciprocity. We help the community and the community helps us by purchasing our content. And to a degree that worked, we certainly grew the business. There's no denying that. But it also led to this situation where people took advantage of us and our support mostly unconsciously, although there are a few bad apples we had to outright ban from emailing us. But it became a major time suck for me and started to really push my burnout and depression meters. I made Thursdays my inbox zero day. I would go through my email inbox, my LinkedIn messages, and blog post comments. The entire process would take me five to six hours nonstop, me just with my head down in front of my keyboard, typing away, responding to people. After six months of doing this, I was miserable. I was completely miserable. And I honestly started to become resentful of people who were clearly taking advantage of myself and my team. These people clearly had no intention whatsoever of purchasing our content, but would send in email after email expecting a response. And I want to highlight that word, expecting. Because when they didn't get a response, they would send us hate mail or get on Twitter or you know, whatever social media channels and comment and say, hey, I sent you an email X days ago, why haven't you responded, right? These people, they they just don't understand the concept of the democratization of education. Yes, the content should be available for you to learn from on your own, but that doesn't entitle you to someone else's time. Someone's time, that's their most valuable asset. The lesson I learned here is that some people really believe education, including not just content, but educators' time and attention should be free. Avoid these people at all costs. They are toxic. And as you can tell, I'm, I'm getting a bit emotional about this because this scar really runs deep. Silly enough, I, I tried to come up with all these, these solutions that these technical solutions almost like engineering my way out of the problem. At one point, we were trying to count the number of times a person emailed in or commented on a blog post. And then after they hit a limit like three to five times, we sent them an email politely asking them to purchase. Otherwise, we couldn't provide free support. You know, We created these automated email sequences to help figure out what product to pitch based off of what blog post a viewer was reading and if they were emailing in to us. All of this was just complex and really downright unnecessary. What honestly worked was just to flat out set the expectation. Sorry, we receive a huge volume of emails and blog post comments per day. At this point in time, we only have enough time in the day to provide email support to our customers. If you'd like to become a customer, here's our link to our products page. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy our 500 plus free tutorials. Wish you the best of luck studying computer vision, deep learning, and OpenCV. We basically took that exact response, massaged the wording a bit, and put that as a save reply and used it on incoming email for people who weren't customers. That was a huge shift in the business model because previously, everything was all about reciprocity. We wanted to help other people as much as we possibly could. But now we are pulling back the reins and saying, hey, we're going to help as many people as we can through our blog post because that scales, that reaches an infinite number of people. We only have to write that content once. Then we press publish and the entire world can get value out of it. But what we can't do is we cannot continue providing free support because we're getting inundated by emails and worse from people who have absolutely no intention of extending the reciprocity back to us by purchasing our content. Like I said, it was super scary And it was, I remember the first few weeks after we did that, I was like, man, did we just like destroy our business model? But it worked. Sales didn't drop. We had less support email. And eventually over time, I was kind of able to come out of my funk of spending too much time trying to hit inbox zero every week. And I felt better. My relationships improved. I was happier professionally and personally. Mistake number six, putting too much emotional connection into the business. And this is so hard as a founder, I grew Pymage Search from the ground up, and I definitely placed a lot of emotional stock in it. In many ways, the business was like a child to me. And there are psychological studies with founders that, you know, they'll put them in in a room and they will show the founders photos of their kids and the logo of their company. And the exact same part of their brain lights up when they see the logo of their business and a photo of their child. So this, this wasn't specific to me. This happens to a lot of founders. They get so emotionally invested that business becomes almost like a child to them. And I remember this quote from Rob Walling from the Startups for the Rest of Us podcast. He said, if the business wasn't stable, then I wasn't stable. I love that quote because that is so true for me. If we had server downtime, if there was an issue getting a blog post out on time, that caused me a tremendous amount of stress because then I felt like the business wasn't stable. That was like my child was sick. My child is on life support. I am just losing it right now. In reality, that, that was unnecessary and quite honestly ridiculous because the business just churned out money and no one was going to die if the servers go down. I got way too concerned with the details because of my type A personality, making sure everything was up to my expectations said I should have aligned my expectations with the customers expectations. At times my team was more concerned with pleasing me, but I failed to direct their attention to the customer. Because if the customer is pleased and we're making more sales, that's really all that matters, right? They shouldn't be so focused on pleasing me. But because of my st- super strong emotional connection to the business and my desire to have things done a certain way, that direction really wasn't possible. And I also believe that that can be alleviated to a degree by hiring a really good project manager, by the time you're making mid to upper six figures per year, a good PM can serve as a buffer between you and the day-to-day drama of the business. That buffer helps remove a little bit of the emotional connection because you don't have to see how the sausage is made, so to speak. You can let your PM help the team make the sausage, and you just see the end product. That creates a nice little barrier, and for me, that was so helpful once we hired our, our technical PM. Just incredible incredible person allowed me to take a step back and not be so stressed not have that emotional connection be so damn strong and i'll wrap up by saying this this list of mistakes it's by no means exhaustive i certainly made many more mistakes than i've listed here but i believe these are the biggest ones and some of these mistakes honestly they they could be unavoidable even with me giving you this direct list you may just need to make the mistakes for yourself to learn from As they say, lessons aren't free and the good ones are expensive. So I hope this list helps you. And if you made similar mistakes running your business or think I should include other mistakes, please send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating in whatever podcatcher you use, whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.